Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. This is the third and final interview with Josh Howard about Acts and the Movement of God, my latest book. We'll talk about the spiritual battle and how one church in Jerusalem became a multiplying movement of disciples and churches. Attached to uh, a lot of what we've been talking about is also just the um, uh, the spiritual battles that happen as we go on this mission, right? Not just persecution, but also there's uh, there that's that's the physical world, and there's also a major spiritual world, um, and and the battles that we face as we're on this journey towards disciple making and multiplication. Um, talk to us about that a little bit, and and what you've learned through these studies. You know, really, the battle is another way of seeing. Uh, the reality of persecution, because we know who who's behind the the hatred and the violence and 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 the like. And right. you know, for Jesus, before he stepped onto the public stage to launch the movement, he he did battle with the enemy in the wilderness, and he won a great a great victory through his his surrender to the Father. Um, and he warned his disciples, you know, when this word of God goes out. The enemy will come and take that seed of the gospel away. Um, so he he knew the battle that he was in. In fact, Acts 10, 38 says, you know, Jesus went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed of the devil. You know, Acts and, and the other gospel, they don't, they don't sort of major on the devil. You know, they just at strategic times, they just they open sort of the curtain, pull the curtains back and we see, oh, my goodness. You know, so Satan fills Judah's heart in order that he might uh, betray Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus says when they come to arrest, this is the hour in which darkness reigns, you know, or, you know, and, and then there's nothing in the first chapters of Acts about or not pointed out about, but then we get to chapter five and there's a there's sin in the camp, and Satan fills the heart of Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit and to the community, and they drop down dead. And you think, well, why did you just mention that little bit there? Because Luke's saying, you know, every now and again, you know, we're going to focus on the enemy, but just realize he's at work. It's not just a people problem here. Um, this this reality, you know, I think of Paul's uh, uh, the, the the storms that he's encountering. Just remind me of the storm that Jesus stilled on on Lake Galilee. That there's a demonic side that wants to bring destruction, and yet Jesus stands up with authority and calms the storm. Jesus appears to Paul on that boat. And 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 rescues him off that that sinking ship. So the reality of this the enemy's work is throughout is the underlying theme of the book of Acts. But that's not where the focus is. The focus is on this living word of God setting the captives free. So when Paul gets his commission, the Lord Jesus said, you're going to release people from the dominion of darkness. You're going to turn them from Satan to God. Again, just a little phrase. It doesn't, you know, expand that out. 
but the words going out in the power of the Holy Spirit and the core missionary task is being fulfilled as we see disciples and churches to the glory of God in in amongst in every place and amongst every people. That's true spiritual warfare. That's how the victory is won. It's won in the wilderness, surrender to the Father. It's won in the obedience to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, setting the captives free. Uh, and then what greater uh, win for the kingdom of God is now we here in Ephesus or Thessalonica or Corinth or wherever it might be, we have communities of believers that are reaching out in depth to this whole region. So that's the battle. There's no preoccupation with the devil, you know. Um, but every now and again, uh, Luke shows us the reality of the spiritual battle. And I, I'm thinking of uh, Terry and Amy Ruff there in northern Uganda. And there, you know, ultimately that ministry there led to, to multiple streams of, of, of disciples and churches that were reproducing. Uh, and it's overflowed into other parts of, of uh, Southern Africa. And so I did the interview with them and we heard all the incredible stories. And then I we shut down the interview. Just at the end, I'm saying, you guys are amazing. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, I was really moved by their story. Oh, and they said, but it's not always like that, Steve. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and I turned the re recording button back on, and we recorded another 10 or 15 minutes. And they told me about their wilderness times, you know, Amy's battle with cancer back in the States with, with um, uh, Terry having to commute back and forth and continue the work, and she was back there, I think, for a year or so. Um, the home invasions by violent men. Uh, seeking to rob them. On one occasion, Amy was alone and she was held at knife point. And then they told me that the, the greatest battle of all, when two key leaders just months apart fell into moral, you know, moral sexual sin and uh, went away from the Lord. Now, both of them were ultimately, after a long process, were restored. But, you know, I just listened for that 15 minutes or so, and you've got juxtapose the wilderness victory because they kept, as they told me, the, the battles they fought, um, Terry just keeps saying, but we couldn't give up. So much was at stake. So much was at stake. And they kept persisting, and the fruit of that now, a multiplying movements of uh, disciples and churches throughout um, Uganda and Southern Africa. So it, it's important to realize sometimes we're fighting the battle on the front line and sometimes we're in the hospital bed or we're dealing with family issues or financial strain or we've just lost our job or whatever. That's as much. Jesus' victory in the wilderness precedes his public victory over the enemy, and he ultimately, that victory in the wilderness leads to the victory of the cross and the resurrection. And there's that same pattern in his follow disciples throughout the book of Acts. Um, Steve, we're almost out of time, brother, mm -hmm. but I'd love if we can 
to hit one more final uh, topic, this whole idea of the entire story of the book of Acts, starting where we started today with church. What is this topic of church? But but God using church to lead to a movement of the Holy Spirit, to lead to a movement of multiplication. That day of Pentecost or that account in chapter two ends with the church in Jerusalem and, and its life together. And we might think, well, you know, Peter, your job now is to be the senior pastor and, um, you know, build the auditorium, <laughs> except this is a movement. And the church, in, the one church in Jerusalem is, is really the parent, the mother of, of every church that's come out of, uh, of, of, that one, of that one church. And that's why Luke gives us so much detail, compressed detail about that church in Jerusalem, because that's what gets reproduced. And as we go through Acts, we keep hearing, oh, there's a church here, there's a church here, there are disciples here, there's, you know, they're everywhere. Well, where, how did they get started? Well, we're not going to tell you, says Luke. I'm not going to tell you. Um, we know some of those churches that Paul visits towards, uh, you know, the end of, of his, his life and ministry and celebrate. He started them by persecuting the believers in Jerusalem and they got scattered. And you get to chapter uh, 21 in, in Acts and he's visiting all these disciples who are the fruit of his persecution ministry. Um, but what we're seeing is the life in this movement of God is the overflow of the life of this first church in Jerusalem. So it's the model to every other church. If you have a, a part of a, a, a small church or a large church, whatever, have a look through the first half of Acts about this church in Jerusalem. Say, so how can we do that today? Because it's continually giving away its people giving away, sometimes it doesn't choose, it's just persecution, they're gone. But now, you know, Philip's in Samaria, now we've got multiplying disciples and churches in Samaria. He's off in the, the, the desert, on the desert road to Gaza, and now the, the gospel's going to, to the region of Ethiopia. Or, the you know, how did those believers get up into Damascus when Paul is chasing them? because they've fled the persecution, and there's a church in Damascus. It's the overflow of the life of this one church in Jerusalem. So from day one, with all of these Jews converted, and they're from the diaspora, the dispersion, some from hundreds or thousands of miles away, well, some of them returned home with the gospel and made disciples and planted churches. And so... What we see is not just the one church in Jerusalem, but this church, which was many churches throughout the city, overflowing to Judea, to Galilee, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, there's 46 people we can trace throughout the New Testament who got their start in the church of Jerusalem. You know, people like Barnabas and Silas, Think John Mark, Agabus the prophet, you know, uh, Philip, one of the seven. They got their start in Jerusalem and then the Lord released them. So this is a church continually giving themselves away. That's so good. Here's the surprise. At the end of his life and ministry, Jesus prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem. 
The church in Jerusalem is a one-generation church because in 66 AD, the uprising against Rome began and a Christian prophet prophesied destruction, reaffirming what Jesus had said, and the church left. I think by tradition they went to Petra. Now, there are other churches through the ages in Jerusalem, but this church that was planted at Pentecost lasted 30 years. It gave its life away and became a multiplying movement. Imagine if Peter had stayed and built the auditorium and the ministry centre and only to find within one generation the whole thing is gone. The whole of Jerusalem was gone by 70 AD. So it's, it's a reminder that every church is called to be a part of this great movement of God from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, from where you are to the ends of the earth. And I'm, I'm thinking of our good friend, uh, friends Troy and, and Rachel Cooper, their seven kids. You know, a few years ago they arrived in, in Los Angeles and they did what they did. You know, they, they went out and they're training in, in evangelism and discipleship and they're, they're, they're helping people get into the harvest. And around the life of their family, they're, 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 they're forming a, a church with new disciples. You know, some had come to know Christ down the skate park or friends of friends or parents of friends, whatever. And, you know, so they formed what they call movement church in their home. And then uh, COVID hit, uh, Troy and the team from that church heard that there were spontaneous worship experiences being organized on the beaches of Southern California. And thousands of people were turning up. And so they went down and discovered, you know, people were turning and believing at these worship events. They're all outdoors. They've been shaken up by COVID. And they started baptizing new disciples. And there was Shane, who'd brought a couple of friends. Shane was a new believer just the year before, year or so before, and he brought uh, two friends, and they, those two friends, two girls, turned and believed, and Troy and the team baptized them. And then they, they just said, hey, what's next? We, we'd like to walk with you in your discipleship. And they thought, what's that? <laughs> and so that night they just met, met up and they started going through the basics of discipleship and casting vision to Shane and his friends, you know, what would it take to, to reach your community? Do you think your community, your friends and family needs what, what Jesus has done for you? And, and they said, yes. And it's sort of college, um, it's vacation for college students. And so Troy and the team dropped everything cleared the schedule and met every single day with these three young people, teaching them how to be disciples in community together. Well, they got this idea, you know, these worship nights were really good. Why don't we have a worship night at, at our, our place? You know, So they put it out in social media and I think 34 people turned up of their friends and family. 
and they just worship the Lord together. These are new disciples leading this. And then at the end of the night, they just watched what Troy and the team had done. They gave a challenge for people to turn and believe, and four people turned to Christ, and they baptized them in the swimming pool. Oh, my goodness, who's going to disciple them? Troy says, you are, you guys are, when you believe us. Yeah, you just do with them what we did with you. And as a result of that, Zeal Church was planted. Shane, I just talked to him the other day. He, he still leads it a year later. It's 30 or 40 people, mostly new believers, and they've planted a church on a university campus. And Troy sort of looked back over the last few years since I've been in L.A., and in that Southern California area, they've, they've seen about 36 churches planted and some of them are third and fourth generation. Now, you might look at that, just 30 or 40 meeting in this house, smaller in that house, you know. But these are new believers. These are new disciples. And that's what it takes, you know. That's what it takes to be a Jerusalem church. You don't have to be a mega church, but you can be a mega church and do this. All you need to do, and this is how you apply it, you say, okay, where are our children, the new disciples who've come to know Christ? Where are our grandchildren? The people that's you know, that's zeal church, and the grandchildren are the, is the church they plant. And where are our great-grandchildren? And are we raising up disciples who know how to make disciples and form community and who are multiplying? You just make that true north, whatever size or stage you're at, and you'll discover that, that, that what it means to be the church in Jerusalem and birth a movement of God. Yeah. Hey guys, listen, if you enjoyed the podcast today, um, honestly, these, what we talked about has just been snippets from Steve's new book. It's called Acts and the Movement of God from Jerusalem to the Ends of the Earth. Um, listen, we want you to go and grab this as soon as possible. It is so powerful and so good. And Steve dives into all the topics we discussed even deeper and many that we didn't. And so if you want to find out how to get your copy, please go to movements.net and grab it as quick as you can. It's out now. Um, we know that you'll be blessed by it. We know that the Spirit is going to use it in a powerful way. Please tell your friends and get it as quick as you can. It's been an honor to be with you today, guys, and we hope you have a blessed day. Visit movements.net to find out how you can get your copy of Acts and the Movement of God from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Thanks for listening.